I Welcome am to. Oh, I was going to do the intro. That's funny, though. Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. Um, or maybe we should just call this the Teresa Show. <laughs> uh, I'm Courtney Brame. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that serves as a mental health support and self help resource for people who are navigating herpes stigma. This series of podcast episodes is really enhancing my sense of what healthcare providers experience. And what I'm hoping to do with this, um, because we're hovering at the 300 episode mark, is take the experiences that have been shared with me through people's lived experiences with STIs. Wow, how many ways can you say experience in one sentence, right? Um, I want to take what has been shared with me over the last six years of running the podcast and hearing people's experiences, their stories, their shares on social media, their emails, the information that they've submitted through surveys. And I want to bring that to the healthcare field and get a better understanding of healthcare providers' reactions to those things, what their thoughts are, and identify where there's room for whether it be improvement or some sort of interventions uh, and see what there is to be said from the healthcare provider's perspective in relation to uh, stigma, STIs, and how we talk about sex, not just with, between the patient and provider, but also between partners as a means of STD prevention. So I brought a former podcast guest on from one of the early, early episodes. So you, you've you been around, you've been around for a minute. So I appreciate that. Thank you for being willing to come back on here and also share your experience um, as a healthcare provider. What I'm doing here is just taking in information and seeing what can be done with it. Same way I started the podcast initially, but hopefully by now I'm better at it. So what I'll do is just have you introduce yourself, your name, and whatever else you want to share, and then your title for sure. And then we'll just go into the conversation and I'll be taking notes along the way. Okay. Uh, my name is Teresa Brandt. I am an RN, uh, currently living in North Carolina for the past quarter century, originally from New Jersey. Uh, <clears throat> I've had 46 plus years of experience in nursing and it has become a big change from the early days with STDs and sharing that with patients to this part of the day uh, where I actually had a conversation a few days ago and I couldn't help but think how far it's come but there's still such a stigma and that hasn't gone away. Mm -hmm. uh, and by your definition, what would we say stigma is? Like if you were to just give it a definition, you know, not Google, but what it is, because I hear it so many different ways and I just want to make sure we're at the same starting point. So when I speak to stigma, that's where we are. I think it's a, a judgment based on misconceptions. Um, years ago, take AIDS because that was an easy one. I was a, a new RN and AIDS was an automatic death sentence and automatically you were a person of terrible character. Um, as we went along in years of course they found out there was different ways to transmit and the perception started to change um, but still not not something you could recover from uh, or have a, a zero load where you would be safe, quote unquote. You wouldn't be at that terminal automatic stage. So, but it's always been STDs. Oh, you must be dirty in some way. Oh, you must be promiscuous in some way. It was always, you did something wrong. And <clears throat> over the years, at which point I wound up with my own herpes diagnoses, um, uh, it was interesting to have that fall on the other foot when someone had to explain that to me. Um, it was given to me uh, after a what I thought was a um, monotonous, a mono, one person. A monogamous, uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
it's been a long day. Um, relationship with my ex-husband of 32 years, and suddenly I found out that I got it because he wasn't faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's all the attendant anger and woe was me and why me that goes with it. That, I don't think, has changed. The other day, I mean, I, oh, well, over the years, I've had to tell teenagers, young adults, older adults, women and men in their 60s, it's kind of gone across the board that, I'm sorry, you know, your lab results show that you have an STD. And telling teenagers who often feel invincible. I'm sure you've seen the news and Equifax just admitted a massive. And it's been like, um, well, they're fine with it for the most part until they find out after the third time we have to report them to public health. And or they have to tell their partner what went on to get treated. And that's always a, a, a bit of a barrier to getting treated. Oh, I have to tell him or I have to tell her. I don't know how they're going to take it. Well, yeah, let's let's gonna... let's stay here for a second. Um, okay. The disclosure piece. Um, mm. I have learned that healthcare providers are the initial touch point of STI stigma because they are the ones who are delivering the diagnosis. So delivering the diagnosis is going to often activate whatever feelings a person has about whatever the diagnosis is that they're gonna receive. So herpes, for example, if someone has their own internalized stigma and idea of what it means to have herpes, looking at the AIDS example, right? Going from, oh, you're the worst kind of person, it's a death sentence, and then as we got to the truth of what AIDS was, we learned that it was transmittable in a multitude of ways that began to bring light to the stigma. So stigma and truth cannot coexist. So with a herpes diagnosis, all of the things that people say to themselves um, as a result of in the media, you know, nobody wants herpes becomes internalized as nobody wants me now because I have herpes. And then the only way to bring truth into that space and dissolve stigma is to directly challenge it, go out, date, find out, oh, there are people who still want to be with me and that my herpes diagnosis is not the end all be all of my relationships. And so Mm -hmm. the way that we get there is through people becoming more comfortable talking about their STI status. And when they do test positive, being able to go home and share this information with uh, past partners who might be at risk, who might've been exposed so that then they can go and get tested, get treated, right? But what I also understand is how a healthcare provider this uh delivers a diagnosis not only impacts how a person goes on to disclose but even if they go on to disclose mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if uh, you can speak to the way a person uh delivers a diagnosis to a patient or a clinician would deliver a diagnosis to a patient and like uh what you might have seen or experienced or even done yourself uh to deliver someone's positive diagnosis in a way that uh, aids STD prevention efforts? Education has always been really important to me because it dispels a lot of myths. You have to be, well, I'm clinical and compassionate because you can't throw yourself into the midst of the emotions because you don't know what you're going to get. And if you sit there and suddenly go, oh, I feel so bad for you, they're not going to take it well because now they see it as seriously something horrible. Oh, you feel so bad for me. Oh, my God, what am I looking at? Um, Last week, uh, when I was doing nursing in person, I'm a remote triage nurse now, so all of mine is over the phone. But when I was doing it in person, I sat down with my person that I was talking to, sat in front of them. Sometimes I had literature in front of me so I could sit across for them and let them know that I was there to listen and to also to give information they would need. Now, last week I had a patient who was Hispanic and I had to go through an interpreter and I had to tell him that he had herpes. 
And basically it was your provider wants me to let you know that you have herpes, which is a, an STD. But what I didn't agree with and the hard part was the provider said, tell him to avoid sexual intercourse. Okay. Anyone who has been involved and knows really how it's transmitted, which is contact to contact of skin, knows that body fluids really has no part in it. And I read that and I was relaying to, to him and I was like, okay, let me tell you what you really need to know. And I proceeded to tell him, <clears throat> it was a very long phone call. Um, the zones, uh, the common zones, what to look for, what to feel, times to avoid it, uh, being on, he could be on valcyclovir on a daily thing. He could use it when he feels that he's got, uh, that it's coming on. I went further than what the provider herself provided for me to tell him because of what I knew. And he was, I could hear it in his voice, all he was saying, oh, oh, what do I, you know, you could hear him thinking, what do I do now? You know, and I said, you must tell your partner so they can be treated so you're not passing it along because someone gave it to you. Either they didn't know, which is common, or they knew and didn't care and told, didn't tell you. So there's a number of ways. And I told him about the treatment and what to look for. And he had a lot of questions. Am I going to have this forever? I said, yes, you can, it's no cure, but you won't always have something that will let you know what's going on. And I took it step by step and I gave him time to answer, to ask questions. But again, you have to take in the cultural, you know, somebody of maybe Hispanic or Mediterranean or take your pick on the number of cultures we've got may see it differently than someone who's had a lot of access to it and understands what's going on. You have to meet them where they are when you get started. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the hardest things to do is find out where they are. Do they know what it is and what do they need to know? Right. Make them not feel bad. Mm -hmm. And basically I told him what, it's an inconvenient skin condition and you have to be aware it's not a thing that's going to make you really sick generally speaking but you have to be aware of what's going on with your body and I told him I said it's important to dis disclose because you don't want to give it to somebody else who's going to keep sharing it even though it's common and like I said I try to take extra time because Let's face it, herpes is a punchline on a joke. And it's not a punchline. And it just makes me mad when I see a television show and they use it as a joke. And of course, if I've seen it, somebody else has seen it as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's a everybody's on an individual you can't do it across the board okay this is what i'm going to say and if they ask this this is what i'm going to tell them it's got to be again meet them where they start and then go from there okay <clears throat> all right uh i'm going to write that down to meet them where they are now finding out where they are <clears throat> is this a matter of being able to ask questions the right questions or is this something that a healthcare provider should be able to just fill out already like pretty quickly without having to ask a specific question or set of questions to know where to meet a person again a lot of times it's cultural not everybody is open talking about sex mm. and you know you might have somebody from another country who I've had that talk with the woman whose husband was right there because his culture was you don't leave your wife alone. And that was not a comfortable conversation. Ooh. Yeah, because, okay, he's going to assume that she gave it to him, but the chances were better that he gave it to her. So, um, <clears throat> and if you ask them to step out, then they're going to say, okay, 
what's going on. I need to be here now. Yeah. Okay. So, Cultural differences, not just with the patient, but also with the provider as well, I think play a role because, you know, you can be someone who's familiar with multiple cultures um, who might have had like the common upbringing up culture like being raised in the south for instance versus the east coast versus the west coast versus the midwest or the north where it's cold all the time where it's hot all the time where you're near water where you're near mountains where there's gang violence or where there's typically more um like agricultural issues causing sickness right where you are and this kind of ties into what another provider said she's like you know the type of uh the routine experience that a healthcare provider has may not be in sex or sexual health. So they just are a little bit foreign in that space. And what we're talking about here is how foreign you can be from a cultural perspective coming in and having to now talk about something that's already uncomfortable to talk about as well. And now you got to layer the cultural piece to it. And I, I think that where this is useful for me is one of the things that I want to do is I want to give healthcare providers practice taking a sexual history. This is something that I'm actively seeking funding for to be able to bring in people of different groups, uh, cultures, communities, ethnicities, uh, relationship styles, and gender identities to give them practice taking a sexual history with these individuals and being able to get familiar with uh, whatever necessary framework needs to be in place for them to open up their patient to talking about sex and the types of sex that they have so that they can offer the best treatment. This is probably the most eloquent way that I've been able to articulate what it is that I'm attempting to do through these interviews. So uh, thank you for making the space for me to bring that out. Um, We are speaking here about meeting people where they are, and this is going to be like some some cultural type ish uh on i need to say that more accurately so what i mean is we have to have a level of cultural awareness to be able to go into these conversations and in your case you had a translator right so what are some solutions to understanding these different cultural views you mentioned being clinical and compassionate meeting people where they are and you just happen to have a translator so uh in aside from uh, utilizing a translator, what are some other ways that we can be on top of cultural differences? Why is there an ant on my screen and my computer's on the bed? Um, funny how do they know? Are they sexually active? Are they, have they ever been in contact with more than one person? Um, <clears throat> what do they know about sexually transmitted diseases? Do they know? Is this something that's been spoken to? Did they, you know, oh, don't go near that person. They might give you a disease. Is that how they've been brought up in the past? Uh, Kids today know a lot more than I did when I was their age. (laughs) It was, I knew, I knew what I needed to know. My mother was very forthcoming. I was fortunate. But a lot just have no clue until there you go and it's staring you in the face but if i have to give them that diagnosis i'm going to explain to them that this is what it is do you understand what i'm describing to you does this seem something that you're familiar with have you had these symptoms do you know anybody that's had this and then i always give them all right that we've gone this far do you have any questions and I usually get at least one. Well, what, you know, is it going to make me sick? I can, I can, you're not going to be contagious all the time, but that's why you need to let your partner know so that in case it, they get the choice, mm-hmm. you didn't get the choice to get it. Okay. What are some ways that you deal with answering questions that you might not have the answer to? What I did with this, like I said, this patient, I needed to have an interpreter. I went on Google and found uh, websites where he could pull information in Spanish. He happened to be Spanish, that he could pull up a PDF or look and see that he could answer questions that I might not have the answer to. Or 
if he wanted to go back and say, hey, you know what, she said something, but I'm not sure why I remember what she said. So they can go back and look at their leisure. So I'm not afraid to pull up Google to help give them an extra resource. Yeah. Um, if I really don't know, I will call, I will let them say, I'm not sure, but let me go ahead and send a note to your provider because they might be able to give me some more information that could help you understand. Mm, okay. And I ask that because what I find is that people have expressed that their healthcare provider maybe didn't have the answer or they had the wrong answer. Is there a time you can think of where maybe you've been wrong about something and I would be curious to know if you find out you're wrong in the moment or even later, how do you go about correcting yourself? Has a patient ever given you different information than what you had access to? Hmm. I haven't found too many that didn't have what I already knew, but I have been stumped by a few questions here and there. And I'll say to them, if you can give me a minute, let me look up something so I'm giving you the right answer. Or let me confirm what I just told you. Okay. And I have gone back and said, you know, I spoke with you earlier. I have found out that I wasn't quite correct in what I told you. So let me tell you what I found out. Okay. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And that, I think, also gives the health, the uh, nurse or provi other provider, um, trying to think of a way to put that credibility okay you know oh they're not just giving me a script mm. yeah they're that's actually listening to what i'm asking yeah that's huge um so really we need to know where to look for information that we may not have access to so you mentioned googling a translator so this wasn't a readily available resource on hand for the healthcare providers like Oh, if you need things, go here to the portal of our um, hospital, of our the, the medical company that we have, and type in the search bar translator, and then you get... Well, we the... have a translator okay. service that we use. Okay. So we have it in every language. So that wasn't the problem. The problem was how can I give... And it's a regular run-of-the-mill interpreter. It's not specialized to mm. certain um, certain aspects. So I, that's why I had to go on. I could have the interpreter tell him what I was finding to go to. Okay. Um, but other than finding the information himself, I had to be specific and say, go on. I gave him one website, and I said, Google Spanish um, STDs. Yeah. Herpes. So that he could get the specific. Um, I sent him to the CDC was the first one. And uh, there's a bunch of others you can utilize, and I do utilize them just to make sure that I'm passing along the right information. Okay. And when you, like, are, you mentioned that y'all have translators in your organization. Uh, if you needed these additional resources, like, is the CDC a recommended resource? Are there recommended resources that y'all have on hand? Not Maybe not exclusively for STIs, but if someone had a different type of a diagnosis, would you just print off the definition of what it is, what the symptoms are and the treatments are? Because, like, I got herpes pamphlets from an urgent care that looked like maybe they were there was a stack printed off and they just handed it to me. So I guess I wonder if there is that type of uh, software in the medical field where you can type in a condition and then just print off the information aside from going to Google and then looking for the most credible resource and then getting it to your patient. I currently am, and I have in the past, working for a, low a lower income, lower insured clinic. We don't have all the resources that say a hospital would have. So um, again, I'm remote, so I don't have anything to hand out. I can only direct them. And um, uh, what I can, also, I can also do is direct them to the office staff to, and I'll send them a note saying, hey, so Mr. So-and-so needs information on this. He's coming in next week. Do you have some uh, printouts for him available? So, I don't have that kind of information at my disposal. Okay. Uh, 
I do find ones like I don't go on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go on um, things that are like CDC, the Mayo Clinic, things that are more rather than more um, spy in the room uh, that I've used in the past for information that I know it's credible. Okay. So, uh, but again, that comes with using things over the years. Mm-hmm. With experience, okay, uh, got a lot more than we've had in, uh, forty years ago. Yeah, I and I want to I want to ask you about the time difference. So, what I'm hearing in your experience is that most recently, uh, the the ability to find information is much easier than it might have been in the past, and mm-hmm. so we're able to validate or invalidate stigma with truth. And what accurate resources that we may have now, everything is so inaccurate when we're talking about herpes, but I imagine for other conditions, like we have more information than we had in the 40 years in the start of your time as a nurse. And so I guess what's the biggest, has it gotten better? What's changed stigma wise when we talk about stigma from your experience as a healthcare provider? I know you said the younger people have so much more information, but is that, is that a good thing that they have so much information or would it be better to have less information that is more consistent and accurate? Well, like I said, 40 years ago, if you had an STD, you were you may as well just be a re- wear a red a on your chest you were dirty you were loose you were promiscuous you were the class what have you you know nowadays it's almost everybody you know has got has had something at some point uh chlamydia wasn't around 40 years ago whether it was around or nobody knew about it now you have one come in one week with gonorrhea they get treated they come back in for a follow-up oh now they got you know gonorrhea and they come back, oh, now they have something else. Um, and they, a lot of the kids now seem to take it, and I say kids not to be dismissive, um, take it more in stride. Yeah. They, it's not this uh, big deal. They know, oh, okay, well, I'm going to get treated. And their only problem is telling their partner. I had one girl who told me, oh, well, I'll tell him, but I don't know if he's going to do anything about it. He's a bit of a player. A week later, after we got rid of the chlamydia, she came back two weeks later with gonorrhea. So, well, did you tell your partner? Can you get it? No, I didn't tell him. I said, you need to tell him. Got that cleared up, came back two weeks later, we were back to chlamydia. Yeah. So, and then the public health department has to take over because now they're considered a public risk. Mm. So, even in not telling, so what you said was you need to tell your partner. And that was kind of mm-hmm. it. There wasn't really an elaboration to it. Do you think that if you told her, hey, you really should tell your partner because you will be able to reinfect yourself, that maybe that would have been a difference? Because you also mentioned working in like low income communities mm-hmm. or the doctor, the, the place that you work doesn't really have much of a budget. So I imagine it's in an area of need where there's low income mm-hmm. and there's generally more... There's more of a lack of education support resources in these communities and therefore some things that might be common sense in a more upscale community uh, or more high income community aren't in this low income community. You're dealing with younger people. You're dealing with less educated people. This goes back to meeting someone where they are. Yeah. Don't assume. Mm -hmm. Just because they come in and they seem to have it all together, they know everything, don't assume. Because I tell them, you need to tell your partner they have to get treated because they can turn around and give it back to you. Yeah. And then this is going to be a cycle. And I'm very and I'm very specific on that, that they understand. It's not a one and done. Um, and to use protection and to be aware. But again, as we know with herpes, it's not fluid. So they can use condoms from here to heaven. It's not going to mess, make a difference. You know, they have to understand that it's a skin. And that's that's where you get a lot of the, oh, well, if I wear a condom, I'll be fine. Or if he were, no, because they're just still working on that assumption that it's a fluid transmission as opposed to skin contact. Yeah. And that's not, 
the phrase out there, I guess, is, well, you know, that's not as mainstream condoms as you would understand. That, oh, yeah, use a condom, you'll be fine. No, you no. won't be fine. That's not how it's transmitted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably one of the things that really needs to be, I guess, stressed in any discussion about herpes is its transmission. Yeah. And, you know, just because HSV-1 is considered oral and HSV-2 is considered genital, to stress, you know, it can travel. Yeah. You can get either one anywhere. It doesn't, it, it's not going to sit there and go, oh, well, now you're below the weight. Now it's only going to be, mm-hmm. um, it's a long, that's probably one of the longer conversations. Yeah. Is a herpes conversation as opposed to just, oh, well, you have syphilis. Here, we're going to give you an antibiotic and that should clear it up. Right. Now, the what made me think of this is how you mentioned telling the lady, all right, you have gonorrhea, tell your partner. She's like, no, he's a player. I'm not going to tell him. And then she came back with chlamydia. And then she came back with gonorrhea again. It just kept being a cycle, right? Uh, a couple months. It seems like in this situation, fear might have been helpful rather than uh, meeting this person with non-judgment, no shame, no type of feeling at all because this person still or this person could have just been like hey partner you might need to chill out for a week on having sex go in get treated because this is what I got like she might have just never told him because of fear of uh, him not having sex with her anymore or blaming her right and so that fear is present and I wonder if this is kind of like what stigma's role is or the judgment and the fear and the shame and all of that to protect people from themselves or it to to redirect the power of that fear from a potential partner to in the healthcare setting to where like okay you know if you do these things then these are the consequences and you're going to have to do this and then that kind of scares the shit out of people into being more mindful of the kinds of sex they have, who they have sex with, uh, being on top of their uh, treatments and everything. And granted, that's a two-way street. One person might hear some shame and stigma, want to go jump off a bridge. Another person might hear that and be like, oh, I wasn't going to take this seriously. I needed to hear this message this way. That's why I sit down, like I said, now I I don't have that younger population to really work with like I used to. But when I sat down with them, I sat down and I made myself, there was nothing else going on. We closed the door and it was just the two of us chatting. I like kids. So it wasn't a problem of I was going to give her that. You should do this. It was more, you want to stay healthy and you don't want to have to worry about being sick because that's not going to get you where you want to go in life. And when they realized... I loved it when they come back and give me a hug for listening. That was always one of the best things because you reach them and you're not judging. You know, these things happen. It's so common. Same thing as I told this gentleman the other day. I said, it's very common. People don't may not talk about it a lot, but there are a lot more people who have it and don't talk about it. So this is not something that is just once in a blue moon. There's a lot of people sharing this, and they just don't know how to take care of it or how to avoid it. The, to let them know that there's not a judgment going on. I'll start out with clinicals just to give them the facts, and then we can go into this conversation mode. Okay, I just gave you a lot of information. What do you What do you want to know? Do you have any questions? Do I need to go over something else again for you? I got plenty of time. Tell me what you need. So to know that they're not just a number on in my book to tick off. Okay, told him, let's go to the next one. Told them, let's go to the next one. To let them know that you're receptive to talking and listening to hearing what they've got to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's see here. I want to know... What are some of the barriers to healthcare providers talking to patients about sex?
society at large, I think, is a lot of it. Um, you know, the schools don't want to talk about it. They give you this health and safety kind of chat. And basically, it's don't have sex and don't get pregnant. They don't go into the, the finer details of what could happen, the consequences. You know, well, you're going to get pregnant if you have sex. Well, don't have sex. They don't go into the little extras of what could happen. Um, there isn't the, you know, it depends on who's teaching the class. If they're not comfortable with it, they're really not going to go into it. So um, it's more of a personal, it's a personal comfort level. If you're not comfortable with sex, you're not going to be able to talk about sex. Well, maybe you could be fine with sex. It's just having to share, acknowledge it with someone else, especially younger people. If you are one of, I don't want to phrase it that way. You're one of those. If you're someone who believes that no one should have sex until they're married, then you're not going to be real receptive to sitting down and having that chat with them about what they should do outside of the actual marital bed. Because it's hard to overcome your own beliefs a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that practice in that discomfort is something that's helpful? Or is there something else that needs to happen? I'm sorry. So what I mean is uh, if people are uncomfortable with other people's sex lives is exposing them to conversations with other people about sex going to be more harmful or helpful and should there be like a, a educational training or something on dealing with that discomfort oh absolutely absolutely um i think doctors should have more conversations about being comfortable and not just drop it on the nurses nurses tell patients a lot of things because the doctors aren't comfortable with it, so they say, oh, go tell Mr. So-and-so, blah, 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 and I'll see you later. Same thing when you're teaching somebody or have to discuss a matter like this, sex education, health and safety. That goes along with, you know, take a course. Find out about compassion and non-judgmental. Don't just make it a catchphrase. Mm -hmm. Actually learn about how you're going to talk with a teenager uh, I had a, I was teaching, they had me as a guest speaker in a class. They didn't invite me back. I think I was a little too blunt. But um, talking about, I handed out, I handed out lollipops. I said, here, enjoy the suckers. Don't be one. Now that we're going to talk about this. And I said, if you think you're going to be swayed in the dark into something you're not ready for, don't go in the dark. Go watch a, a, a basketball game. And this one girl was, well, I have two kids already. And I can get, I can get romanced anywhere. I said, stay home. And, you know, everybody laughed. And it was meant to be light. But, you know, again, it wasn't judging her. It was just recognizing she made a comment. And it was a humorous lesson, part of the lesson. You know, don't, put, again, going back to don't put yourself in that situation. But I've had training. I had training in nursing about how to talk to patients, what to look for, what to listen for. I don't think a lot of these teachers, especially the ones in high school that have to have these conversations, I don't think they get that little bonus of what to do when you need to describe it. I think some of them just kind of get suckered into it. Oh, we're going to be teaching sex education this year. Yeah, yeah. Now oh, you said something. So you said something interesting. You said that the nurses are responsible for, like, the doctors' discomfort. Like the doctors just dismiss the uncomfortable stuff. Go tell Mister So and So this thing, and it's just passed off onto the nurses. So is this a nurse or issue? Or they go in and they say, "Oh, Mister So and So, by the way, you've got X Y Z, and if you need anything, the nurse out here can answer any questions you might have." So help me with the hierarchy here then. What uh, is the doctor's job? What is the nurse's job? 
in this particular scenario that we speak of where they can tell someone to go in like, oh, hey, here's a diagnosis. All right, if you need anything, talk to the nurse. Bye. Basically, <laughs> doctors are taught how to heal. And nurses are taught how to keep them alive once they're told how to heal. Mm. And I, it's, it's common joke like July 1st when the interns and the residents come into the hospitals for the first day. Um, and I've been part of that conversation. They come in and they're full of themselves and they're going to be the great healers and they're going to, these are their patients. And we basically say, look, you can make this difficult or you can make it easy on you. These are our patients. We keep them alive. We let you borrow them to learn and to take care of. Don't screw it up. Now, as far as, uh, and it's not to take anything away from doctors. They're just not taught the fine tuning mm -hmm. that nurses are. Nurses are to follow instructions and to do what's in their scope of practice and to question something that doesn't seem right. Um, so if a doctor were to say, okay, I mean, we had a patient, I had a patient a million years ago, funny enough, he was Hispanic and he had AIDS. This is 1993, 94. And I went in the room and the patient and his wife were devastated. Doctor came in and dropped the diagnosis on them and left. We were the ones who had to listen to them and talk with them and get the social worker in there and get the pastor in there and basically um, pull in resources to help them understand. Uh, and again, you can do the same thing with a lot of things. You have a patient who's got an STD and they don't understand and they don't know where to go. You can pull a social worker in there to sit there and talk with them if they're really upset. You know. So-and-so just found out X, Y, Z. Can you come talk with them and feel them out and see if they need anything that they didn't tell us? Because sometimes they'll tell somebody who's not healthcare related. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, Doc, I don't think, and some doctors are great. Don't get me wrong, but there are a lot of doctors that they just don't know how to tap into that give and take for long periods of time. Okay especially in today's managed care you get to see 20 patients in three hours and you know <sighs> yeah yeah all right um the thing that stands out about this last little block of what we just discussed training um the training for the people who are teaching sex ed like this isn't necessarily an issue that starts with healthcare providers because y'all have to do so much more of what should have been taken care of in school at home and in leading people to their sexual debuts um, and experiences and the consequences or outcomes of that sex from time to time right SCIs so better ed education to the patient beforehand can be something that aids your job in providing them with treatment, providing them with resources. It just makes it a little bit easier. So coming in here, what I'm learning and talking to you clinicians, healthcare providers, nurses, is that so much of what can make your job easier may not actually be something uh, that we can just come in and say, here's what nurses need, let's give them this. This is more of a system-based approach and the system being the way that we learn about our health, the way that we learn about our sexuality and sex in general, like sex education that we receive in middle school, high school, um, I think college would even be a really good point to be able to have these education. Yeah. Yeah. That too. So even in these spaces, like high school should be a place that has this 
sex education that talks about STIs. And I'm wondering where else can we place this if it's not like, yeah, we should all be in school. There are people who are not going to go to school. There are people who aren't going to go to college. There are people who might go straight into the army, military, trade school, whatever. And even in the army, you know, nobody, I don't know that there's conversations at all about, hey, we're going to be deployed in uh, Thailand and there's a very huge like I hear so many stories about men in Thailand and the women there and um, you know it's just like oh yeah I got chlamydia out there once or I got the clap out there once haha and I wonder like was was anybody telling these people like how important it is to wear a condom and that you know the way to use a condom and not to let nobody sweet talk you out of using a condom or whatever other uh, prevention methods there are because I feel like so much of this just gets to the nurses and the nurses are taught to do their job like you said you know there's a process in place and when there are inconsistencies with that process the nurses point that out and then that's when the doctors get to borrow the patient for healing right so i think a lot of this can be mitigated beforehand and now it's a matter of crafting together the information that I have in order to create what may be a curriculum, what may be a process, what may be uh, a platform even for people to be able to get what they need to communicate with their healthcare providers in a more effective way. What you've got to understand too though is a lot of these kids are minors. Their parents or the if they go to a Christian school, they're going to get the basics. This is what happens when you hit a certain age when you're a woman. This is what happens at a certain age when you're a male. They're not going to go, don't say the word gay. You know, they're not going to say, oh, well, you know, gee, I'm gay. I don't have to worry about it. Well, not quite that cut and dried. Um, you know, the, the teachers are supposed to to preach it abstinence no don't have sex well again have you met many teenagers who can stick to that no but again we can we can offer these courses till the cows come home but unless these the communities the board of education uh the ones where the churches are so prevalent in their daily lives they're not necessarily going to get on board so that's a big barrier there is societal norms your faith your religion they're going to have an influence on that so a lot of times they don't learn the parents don't know so by the time they get to a situation then then health care is really their first opportunity yeah. to say hey and again, if we have to know what we're talking about, we have to know how to approach it for them because they're saying, no one told me. So education absolutely would be the best thing, especially when they're in those the formative years. But you, we're not always going to be able to get that. Mm -hmm. um, now, what I think would behoove the teachers would be to take, maybe have those courses available, not required, for their own edification and education so that they can say if you have any questions about anything please come talk to me as opposed to standing in front of a classroom and saying hi guys well today we're going to talk about STDs and somebody says I heard you talked about that you can't do that because that means they're, we're promoting sex so it's, it's a fine line um, that's why I had so many kids in my car constantly when my kids were in school because they all jumped into Ms. their mom's car to ask questions of me because they knew they could ask me anything. Yeah. And I would tell them. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has that mom that will tell them what they need to know. Okay. It's 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 real. And Courtney, some days it breaks my heart when I know what these kids are facing without the education they need until they wind up in a doctor's office. Now, when they get birth control, will they come in for the depot shot or birth control? The, do, the providers do, do discuss the, what they need to know as far as that goes. 
and I and I do believe they do talk about STDs, but again, time constraints. They can't spend the time they really need to to let the kids or whoever. I had a 67-year-old patient. I had to tell her she had an STI. That was an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, and uh, there just isn't the time for the healthcare providers all the time to do that. Mm-hmm. I can always tell. I have a log sheet for my production to see where what I get done each day. And I can tell a day that I've had to have conversations with people because instead of having like 25 calls that I've done, I've got like 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those were teaching calls that took up the time. Okay. So. All right. Well, Teresa. I hope this was helpful. Teresa, it was. I, I, I got plenty of notes here. I don't know if you can see that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, we also have the recording. So my plan is to utilize this in a way that allows for me to navigate better discussions that are going to help me with identifying, okay, who does need the training? What training do they need? How can we give healthcare providers more time? How can we set people up for success uh, when they do have questions, when they do need information, right? So these are all questions that I'm gonna have and continue to bring to the surface as I go through this area, this avenue of identifying what do healthcare providers need? What is there to learn from you all? Uh, that can get people uh, the best quality of health care because this isn't just about sexual health anymore and it's not just about mental health. It's really about our health, like whole health, right? And I ain't there yet. Like I still gonna, I'm gonna say sexual health is mental health until we get to the point where that needs to change. Um, but I think that people need to see that first and I think that these conversations about stigma, where it's coming from, what we can do about it, this is going to get us to the point where people see, oh, sexual health, mental health. And then once that catches on, then we can see, you know, just whole health and what all contributes to that. So I really thank you. Thank you for coming back on here and being willing to chat with me. I would really, I'd like to hear the whole thing because I want to hear what the other nurses have to say or healthcare providers have to say as well to see where we differ yeah so i'm gonna uh put all of these podcasts together i have a handful of more interviews to do and then uh i'll put these all in podcast episodes it'll be like a series and uh, yeah I'm, I'm hoping to get this project funded because i want to put together a survey for healthcare providers to see um to to get the input in a quantitative way and then start presenting this when alongside like my herpes information talks you know, the funny thing is about so much of this, the STIs start with self-esteem. They, a lot of them toss themselves into risky behavior because someone's nice to them. Someone makes them feel pretty or handsome, and they don't want to lose that opportunity to feel good mm. about themselves. And then we have this whole sequela that follows along. So... Yeah, I'd like. I, I definitely want to hear the whole thing and see. Okay. What everybody's got to say. Absolutely. But thank you for giving me an opportunity to share. Yeah, thank you. This was great, and uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and close this out. And then, if you have any questions for me throughout this process, just don't hesitate to reach out. Let me know. Okay. All right. Good thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. Take care. Bye bye. That, oh, excuse me, I burped at the perfect time. I just <laughs> closed the call. But that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast. And uh, yeah, just share it with people. You can also donate uh, via www.spfpp.org to support my efforts here. Again, 501, uh, again, Something Positive is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, essentially uh, serving people who are living with herpes. Thank you so much, y'all. Peace.